Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hey everyone, David Fortney, and welcome to another edition of the DC Insider, What Employers Need to Know podcast. With me again, I've got both Nita. Hey, Nita. Hey, David. How you doing? Real good, thanks. And Bert. Hi, David. Nita. Good to be back. Sure is. Well, listen, I want us to move right into what the heck is going on with EEO-1 reports that are being held by the Labor Department. We have this really significant event that impacts every federal contractor in the United States because there's this massive Freedom of Information Act request or FOIA request that seeks to have the Labor Department, OFCCP, produce five years worth of FOIA reports. And gosh, that has really raised so many issues for federal contractors across the board. And what we'd like to do is spend a little bit of time, let's talk about what that notice is, because there's some very tight deadlines coming up. And if contractors don't object or take action, their EEO-1 reports will be disclosed to this investigative reporter. So there's a lot of developments that have occurred very recently and are kind of breaking news that we're right in the middle of for so many clients. So let's just jump right into that. Nita, let's start with what is this register notice? What's the FOIA request? So David, let's back up just for one second. There is a gentleman named Will Evans with the Center for Investigative Reporting. He has been after EEO-1 reports. Now we all know that live in this little world uh, that EEO-1 reports cannot be released by EEOC under criminal penalties. However, when they migrate over to OFCCP, Department of Labor, OFCCP uses them for lots of things, but they then become subject to the Freedom of Information Act. And up to this point in time, and David, I know in a few minutes, you're going to talk a little bit about what the law is. Up to this point in time, they've pretty much been protected even by the Department of Labor. However, here we are. So on Friday, the 19th, the OFCCP filed an unprecedented notice in the Federal Register saying that Will Evans has requested, which is what you do with a FOIA, he's filed a FOIA request for Type 2, those are consolidated EEO-1 reports, for all federal contractors, which they think is about 15,000, for 2016 to 2020. And with those 2016 and 2020, the Labor Department has said, OFCCP has said, they think that these reports might be subject to Exemption 4. And David, you and Bert will talk a little bit more about what that is. But in order to facilitate contractors filing written objections to these being released, OFCCP has set up a web form whereby the contractors can go in fill out the information and say why they object to them being released. The contractors have 30 days. By September 19th, if contractors do not object to these being released, their EEO-1s will be released to Will at that point in time. Bert? You know, I know it's legal and I know it's under the statute, 
But there is a double presumption that just sticks in my craw. The first is the presumption that whatever the OFCCP has done, notices in the Federal Register, notices on their website, constitutes effective notice to 15,000 contractors. And then the second presumption is because the notice is effective, if you don't object, the presumption is your data is going to be released. And it may be legal, but it just sticks in my craw. That's all. <laughs> I think that's a fair practical observation. It is a fair point. Yeah, I don't think most federal contractors are perusing the Federal Register every day, particularly on uh, August vacation and around Labor Day. Let's get real. So the timing of this is interesting, too, because it's at a time when many people are not paying close attention to what's going on, including a number of lawyers around town who also even lawyers go on vacation. So that happens, too. You know, the thing about it is, is having been an in-house lawyer, you do not know much about FOIA. I mean, we live in a little world, and you two in particular are experts at administrative law. Most of the rest of us just don't deal with FOIA. What is the background, Bert, of FOIA and how we got into the exemption? Well, just so everybody knows, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, provides that any person has a right to ask for access to the productions of the government, of federal agencies, of Congress, of anybody they want. The idea behind FOIA is that there should be greater transparency in the government. Everybody goes back to Justice Brandeis, you know, sunshine is the best disinfectant. So the basic thrust of FOIA is to disclose. And that creates an obvious tension between the government that wants to disclose and the businesses that have provided sensitive data to the government. But FOIA does have some limits and that's where the interesting stuff happens. There are nine exemptions and three exclusions. I'm not gonna get in all 12 of those because the most important and the one that affects our clients and most of the people listening to this podcast is what they call exemption four. Exemption four protects from disclosure, and I'm quoting here, trade secrets and commercial or financial information obtained from a person that is privileged or confidential. So for us, it's financial or commercial information that is confidential. For most employers and most contractors, who you hire, when you hire, how many you hire, especially over a five-year period, is like disclosing your business strategy. So that information is protected. Now, just how and when this exemption has been applied has been the subject of considerable litigation going up to late last night, virtually. And David, why don't you give us some of that background? Sure, I'd be happy to, Bert, because this is where, as Bert said, the words in this exemption, which means that uh, you don't have to disclose if you fall within this exemption four, but what do those words commercial and confidential mean? Those are the ones that are so, so critical to understand. As you might imagine, fairly simple words in a statute by the time the lawyers are done torturing them and the courts are done litigating them, you can get lots of different readings. And uh, as recently as 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court had a very significant decision, uh, the Food Marketing Institute versus Argus, in which they addressed exemption for a FOIA. I mean, this little nudge issue that we're talking about went to the Supreme Court and with a very positive decision for the business community, the court said, look, the concept of confidential isn't to be read narrowly. You give a kind of a common sense meaning. It means if you keep it private or secret, it's confidential. Kind of a common sense reading. 
that was widely applauded and with a sense of relief, I might add, by the business community going, oh, that's great. Therefore, we have broader protection because now Exemption 4 can be read broadly. But wait, there's some important kind of footnotes and reading. Court cases take a long time. So unfortunately, while the Supreme Court case that was favorable was being decided, Congress kind of got whiff that the court might change and add a broader exemption. So Congress said, no, 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 no. They amended the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, and narrowed these exemptions back down again. So we have the Supreme Court rendering what is effectively under the old law. We have Congress amending, narrowing the exemption. It would narrow what is confidential and make disclosure more likely. Now we have further litigation actually involving the same reporter, Will Evans, from the investigative reporting outfit that Nita identified, and the Labor Department involving EEO-1 reports. So exactly what we're talking about now, that was litigated out in California. And in that case, the California case that came down right about the same time, and this was sort of confusing, came down the same time as that Supreme Court decision, didn't really tee off on the Supreme Court decision because it was now being decided under the newer law. And in that case, the court ruled that the Labor Department had to turn over EEO-1 reports. And they found that the reading of the commercial information as defined in Exemption 4 needed to be read with a higher standard. In other words, it was harder for the employer to qualify. Now, there were a number of other, I think, shortcomings in that case. The case, the Northern District of California case actually went up on appeal, but it got decided by the appellate court on procedural issues. But that's one case that's out there that, that we need to be mindful of. We don't view that as the death knell at all for successfully arguing for Exemption 4, even though that did not occur in that case. Most recently, as Bert indicated, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, the federal appellate court that sits in New York, issued another FOIA decision, not involving EEO-1, but involving Exemption 4. And it, again, it helps us understand and carry out what the standard is for those fairly simple words that Bert highlighted for us commercial information that's kept confidential. What does that mean? And in terms of what it means, what the Second Circuit has said that, look, is the harm reasonably foreseeable? And is the harm reasonably specific? In other words, you can't just say it's generally confidential. They want something put forward in the record. In that case, there were actually affidavits that were put forward that helped explain what the harms would be that the company's uh, information uh, would expose them to if it was disclosed by the government. And indeed, the Second Circuit agreed, you should not disclose the information. So that's kind of that legal landscape on where things stand. And there's another sort of sub point that I don't think is as important, but uh, the, the new statute also says that if there's going to be some disclosure, you should try to segregate and see if the information can be disaggregated so only part of it is disclosed and other parts could be exempt. But I think for our purposes, as we sit here today with this massive FOIA request for all need of such 15,000 federal contractors, five years worth of EEO-1 reports, we need to really focus on, can we provide reasonably specific information as to the commercial harm that will be suffered if the information is disclosed? And I think most contractors can do that. You know, David, I think the real interesting issue is let's turn to what OFCCP is asking contractors to answer 
And Bert, would you kind of walk us through that and we can talk about what that means in a lot of these cases? Yeah, and I'll try not to be prolix because the OFCCP has really done something very unusual. They're trying to assist 15,000 contractors that are subject to this request. So they have done something very unusual. They have created a web portal to hasten and assist contractors in responding and, in fact, objecting to this request. One of the issues that is imponderable is, are they ready? I mean, if the presumption is correct that this notice was effective, they're going to get a bazillion responses, and we just don't know if they can handle it. But they've done the right thing, and they've asked the right questions. Let me just briefly tell you the five questions that the agency is asking contractors to respond to. Do you consider the information in the EEO report to be a trade secret or commercial information? If yes, explain why. That's very important in terms of the California case, which said that as far as they were concerned, the information in front of them was not commercial information. So you must emphasize that your data is related to your business. The second one is, do you customarily keep the information private or closely held? Please explain how you do so and to whom it has been disclosed. That's very important because those words are right out of the statute. It must be confidential and you must treat it as confidential. And that was supported by the Supreme Court. The third one is another very important one. Do you contend that the government provided an express or implied assurance of confidentiality if yes, explain. If no, skip. Everybody knows that the EEOC has a promise of confidentiality in Title VII. So you can say that originally you created this EEO-1 report and originally submitted it and prepared it under that promise of confidentiality and let the agency try to explain why suddenly a statutory promise doesn't apply. And then we go to number five, since uh, four we've answered is, do you believe that the disclosure would cause harm to an interest protected by this exemption? And then they go on to say, such as by causing genuine harm to your economic or business interests, if so, explain. Obviously, this is the key. You have to explain in some detail because of the 2016 case that the information is commercial and that it will cause you harm. But as far as I'm concerned, go back to the statute which, as David explained, talks about reasonably foreseeable harm. Those are terms that have been defined in statute. Those are terms that have been defined in case law. But you can make your case. In addition to answering this portal, we urge that you also file a letter objecting in greater specificity and greater detail. But those are the points. Now, just go through those five questions. It's a trade secret and it's commercial information. It's confidential. It was released under a pledge of confidentiality and the disclosure would harm you in your business. And those are the ones that I think uh, most contractors, as David said, can produce, but you must do it quickly, 30 days and with great specificity. You know, Bert, a couple of things. One, this, that you have kept it confidential. As we know, many companies, federal contractors and non-contractors have started voluntarily posting their EEO-1 reports. So if you have been doing that, at least for the years that you have publicly posted, you may not be able to successfully argue against the disclosure for the years that you have voluntarily posted because you do fall short 
potentially under one of the prongs. But that doesn't mean that if you haven't done it for all five years, I still think that for the years you didn't voluntarily post, you may have arguments. Second, the Labor Department introduces this concept of, quote, genuine harm, close quote. The concept of genuine, honestly, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what it means. It's not in the cases. It's unfortunate. It's kind of like OFCCP developing a pay analysis group. In contrast to what the courts, the statute talks about reasonable foreseeability, reasonably specific, those are all well-trodden legal standards that can be applied with certainty. I don't know about the genuine harm. That may end up actually becoming a flashpoint in litigation down the road. But in any event, it is really critical. If you don't want your data disclosed, you need to hit all these questions. And I want to underscore what Bert said, we think also submit a letter and declaration. And I think it's time to do our little takeaways. I think you guys have probably covered them already, but let's just reiterate for everybody. Understand that you need to reach out to counsel and you need to talk to them. If you're a federal contractor and you don't want to release this data, you need to talk to them about how you are going to not release it. If you do not file your objection by the 19th of September, OFCCP and DOL will be forced to release your data whether they wanted to or not. And you need to, as both Bert and David have said, you need to clearly show how you are covered by this exemption. And that's going to be require a declaration by someone within your organization, which is why, David and Bert, we believe that in addition to filling out the form for OFCCP, you should also submit separately a letter to the FOIA person at OFCCP. And let me just add to uh, one of David's points about the inadvertent or perhaps uh, well-meant disclosure. Many companies, especially publicly traded companies, are under enormous pressure from shareholder groups. Uh, Some are under pressure from employees, and some have released their EE1 data, either in whole or in part. I have to tell you now that doing so may very well constitute a waiver of your right to object to disclosure. So I know many companies are contemplating the disclosure of this. It's all part of pay equity. It's all part of, uh, you know, being an honorable employer, et cetera, et cetera. Consider seriously what you're doing, because I think if you have disclosed this data in response to either shareholder or employee pressure, you may have waived your right to object to the OFCCP disclosing it here. Listen, folks, there are, as a practical matter, there are three lawyers at the Labor Department who are going to be dealing with this. Three lawyers, 15,000 federal contractors. That is an overwhelming assignment and requirement for those lawyers to meet. One of the reasons that we think, and we've said this several times here, about filing that attestation or declaration in support is so that there is no doubt. I don't want it to be a close call for clients as to how they qualify, how they meet these. Then, And having the declaration in front of the lawyers in the Labor Department, that makes it very easy for them to check the box saying, this contractor clearly qualifies under Exemption 4. We are not going to disclose their report. So it's not required, but I think it is really a best practice. And one of the things we do try to do is point out those best practices that we've gained from our time in in D.C. and at the Labor Department, frankly, where we did at one time, both Bert and I had responsibility for making the calls on how FOIA responses would be uh, answered. So, all right. Well, federal contractors, you've got your work cut out September 19. Get started now. 
make a conscious decision. Do I or do I not want my five years worth of EEO-1 reports to come out? Most of our clients, the answer is somewhere along the lines of heck no or stronger, but each company should make that decision on an informed basis and proceed accordingly. Expect that Will will not take no for an answer and that those who do not, where he doesn't agree that the data should be released, he will sue. And we understand he FOIAs the objections, those who object, and will publish that. Okay. It is already the 26th of August. You have three weeks. If you haven't started, start. Time waits for no man. So if you want to object and preserve your data, get to work. I think that's a great way to end. Well, listen, both Bert and Nita, thank you both a ton. And everyone out there, thank you for listening to another edition of the DC Insider Podcast. If you haven't already, please push that button, subscribe. We really appreciate all the listeners we've got. And we love keeping you on top of these things. We'll be in touch soon. Bert and Nita, thank you both so much. Thank you. Bye-bye, folks. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting fortneyscott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.